1: this episode of Market Dominance, guys, we'll dissect that sales process called the discovery call and diagnose the problem that is keeping sales reps from making a successful one. Chris, Corey, and Oren Claff, Managing Director of Intersection Capital, shared their opinions on the subject and lament the unfortunate fact that most sales reps have no set method for conducting a discovery call that includes true discovery. As Oren describes it, selling is a bit icky. And salespeople want to retreat quickly back to the relative calm of their normal lives. Once a salesperson hears one thing that's an indicator of interest, they want to hit the buzzer and immediately jump to the sales pitch so they can end their own discomfort. As Oren sees it, this cut-to-the-chase method is the primary reason many discovery calls fail. Instead of truly finding out what problems the prospect or his company might have, which the product being offered might solve, Reps skip right over the creation of a relationship that might help them eventually make that sale. Chris is convinced that salespeople can actually be coached on where they went wrong during a discovery call and how to do it in a way that works. In this episode, you can listen to the two questions that Chris begins his own discovery calls with. Join us for this episode of Market Dominance, guys. Why cutting to the chase and discovery calls fails? (music)
0: Which, by the way, is not, we got the inside track on watching this, right? We, we do more of it than everybody else in the world put together. We don't create meetings. We just help other people do them. Corey's team is one of the sets of other people. We just help them get first conversations and follow-up conversations. And hey, if you do them right, you can take the market in terms of meetings. And meetings are good leading indicators of the potential of the business as long as the message happens to correspond to the value in some way. What we're doing is we're pushing the bottleneck down to discovery. And what we're finding is nobody can do discovery. So I'm fascinated with what you're doing because I've been looking for a long time for some blockbuster, some stick of dynamite I can stick into the discovery process that regular people can learn, like your North Dakotans, right? They can actually learn to do it. And or you can analyze where they're going bad, where it's coachable, because that's the other thing we're not seeing is we're not seeing methods that are specific enough that you can say right there. You slipped into the sorcerer, dude, you were dead at that point.
2: Yeah. So I think in discovery, what happens is people don't like being in discovery. And then discovery tends to rhetorical questions. Chris, would you like to make a million dollars without, by just going to the mailbox and collecting the mail and cashing checks. Uh, I roll, you just rolled your eyes. You just rolled your eyes. You literally (laughs) just rolled your eyes. uh, Unconscious subcommunication. You rolled your eyes. And, And so that's what discovery is. It is just one big rhetorical question because you basically know the answers to the questions largely in discovery. It's not a real discovery tends not to be a real process, Yeah, right? And so one idea to riff off of, and I know what we do is we give a sense that we've solved this problem a thousand times. This is boring. Instead of telling people we're good at it, we're the number one company, Microsoft uses us, we have 500 people, we got the best customer service, our CEO is friends with Elon Musk. Instead of telling people we find a way to show them that we solve this problem, this area all the time, fall asleep while doing it. And then when we say, tell me what's going on with you and then prompt that, right? With sort of three, five, seven questions that cover the territory, right? So circle the territory, then they'll fill in discovery. So we're talking very abstractly, but let's just talk about like copiers, right? Right? People don't even sell copiers anymore, do they, Corey? Is that a thing?
0: (laughs) I've got one of the biggest copier selling companies in the world. Okay, great.
2: I don't know anything about copier sales, but we'll abstract on it. So... The new copiers send them a file. They they automatically cross-correlation, send it out, fax, email, send, produce, bind, put it at your desk, FedEx, and anticipate exactly. I'll give you an example. Microsoft had a file that had to go out for a company that they were you know doing something with. We sent over the file and started getting emails before anything else had happened. They had already been at the CEO, CFO, and delivered. And everyone was saying thanks before they even knew the file had been sent. Today, that's not even a thing. Anyway, some technical description of a master solution that that company would be dreaming of, right? Somebody wants something copied, right? They wink at it. It goes to the copier. The copier bills the right account. It's out. It gets to the desk. It's in FedEx and the account is signed and it's in DocuSign and back on the desk, right? It's like, and then the question, the discovery is, so what are you guys looking for, right? You know, what's going to make a difference over there? cost reduction, rapid correlation, you know, distribution, getting the sign, replacing, you know, copies of facility, like what's going on there with you guys? What hurts, what doesn't, where are you? So the open-ended question is what hurts, what doesn't, you know, where are you? You can't just ask that without circling the territory, right, so the territory is cost reduction, I mean, this is what I'm guessing for copiers, cost reduction, maintenance, uptime, volume, ease of use, right? So you circle that territory and you go, what's going on with you? Where are you guys? What do you want to make happen? And then because you've given them context and you've given them a channel to go down, the discovery will unfold as opposed to you asking, are you looking for cost reduction? It's the same process, but when you ask that, they're very resistant in discovery to give you the real information or to give you information at all.
0: I think it's the biggest issue in discovery and it's, it's, it's huge. And if we can figure out how to teach it to folks so they can do the whole thing and resist the, the horrible things that they do in discovery, which I, I, this whole rhetorical question thing is the worst. I mean, there's no right. doubt about it, right? It's, it, you're taking away autonomy. You're saying, I'm going to put you in a, in a corner of my choosing. And then I'm going to wear you down until you finally decide that you're going to say yes to my next step. That's what people do.
2: So I think it's giving the example of the best possible of all utopia. And making utopia feel like a day-to-day thing that we just do here all the time.
0: Yeah. So there's a question I ask in discovery. So I do about uh, three discovery calls a day. And connect and sell because I think CEOs oh, wow. and themselves yeah. have no idea what they're doing, right? And I sell a little bit. I sell about six million a year. I'll probably do a little better than that this year. It's kind of a spare time gig, but um, it's it's one of those things that I figure if I'm not out there, what do I know? And I asked two questions, and they're kind of weird questions. I want to get your take on them, but they're they're strange. I ask the first question is a very simple question. It's a little bit of a kind of a status tip off, but it's a little bit it's it's subtle. I just ask, so where are you on the surface of our blue whirling planet today, Martin? And I ask it exactly like that. And I get the most amazing responses. But all I'm really trying to do is two things. Get the person to see that we're together and get them to speak with pride. Because when people speak with pride, they start to open up. And everybody's proud of where they live. So it's it's really simple, but it's amazing what happens. And then when they get done with that, I say, so... And I went out to your website. I, to under, I always try to understand businesses. I think I'm pretty good at that. Actually, I'm one of that guy who reads the, you know, I read the K-1s and the, all that kind of stuff. Right? I had read that junk. But I'm always wrong. 100% of the time when I really learn about the business, I'm wrong. So tell me about this when everything goes great in your world, in your business when it's the perfect customer, it's perfect situation, their budgets in place, their need exactly matches your product, your customer success people don't mess it up, engineering doesn't do anything bad about it, the whole thing works perfectly. How does your product change that person's life? And they will hold forth. And they will hold forth sometimes for 15 minutes. Yeah. At which point a lot of discoveries happen and I haven't had to ask any rhetorical questions because frankly I don't know the answer to either one of those questions. And frankly, I don't kind of care about the answer, but I do care about the psychological process, which is speaking with pride as an equal, and then speaking with pride about their mission without using the stupid word mission and getting into mission statements, what their company says doing. It's like, why are you doing this? Why are you taking the precious moments of your life and spending them doing what you're doing? Because you must believe it's good for somebody.
2: Yeah. So I I give you my take on it. Uh, I was called in to a pretty high volume motorcycle parts, sort of a bike bandit, Revzilla kind of company. And so the thing about motorcycle parts that's so challenging is they're low volume, relatively compared to cars, relatively low volume, but there's so much variation in parts. So even a correct part number can be a half year. So you can Bike Bandit can send out what they believe is the correct part based on the numbers and the catalog number, which is very complicated. The user gets it, goes to put it on his bike, and it doesn't fit. Mm. It can be on the guy doesn't know what bike he has, right? He believes he has a 2004 Kawasaki, you know, KR1000, and it's a 2004 Kawasaki K1000R, I mean, it's just, there's just the, I don't know how the motorcycle industry works, but they make minor model derivations in the same year. So they may have three of the same model, right? Just motorcycles are very intelligent specifics. So anyway, the part comes, it doesn't fit and bike ban hasn't, it hasn't been, uh, you know, uh, malicious or malevolent and they don't want, but, but the guys call and their bike is down right? And people are very passionate about it. And they're screaming and yelling and frustrated and threatening and all kinds of stuff is going on. And so I came in there and honestly, I was doing sales stuff, but on the other end, you know, I saw this going on and I go, just ask the guy what kind of bike he has, right? Just tell him, hey, can you tell me about your bike? It looks GSXR 600. You know, how do you have it set up? Tell me about the bike. Well, the problem became the other way where the guy would just exactly like you're saying, he'd want to talk about his bike, for 45 minutes. Uh, And I thought about this just the other day because behind me, I have all my bikes and I was talking to a guy uh, who was selling me, trying to get me on his membership program. And we were doing a video call and I walked by. He's like, oh, hey, are those your motorcycles? Right? And I go, yeah, yeah. He goes, tell me about them. Like, I'm really into that. Right? And then I went on for 40 minutes. Right? And then I realized, and I know the guy, Ken, he doesn't care. Like He doesn't care at all. But he, he used the, and I'm familiar with it. So I'm a million percent agreement. If you can get someone to talk about their motorcycle, they're completely off of the pain they're feeling as they're describing the thing that they love. So yeah. when you could get somebody describing the thing that they love, I mean, it's, it's um, for discovery, you know, it's, or, or any other sales or customer service process, it just creates magic.
3: But that process alone, Chris, that you're using, I think, Orin, maybe you'd echo that there is novelty in that process because it precisely is antithetical to how most big dumb farm animals like me would conduct a discovery call prototypically based off of my feel, felt, found, solution selling type of script. And you certainly have status as a CEO to go in, but that pattern interrupt about that novelty approach. I think is what works with that because you're authentic. I think in your uh, in your tonality and in your pacing and your uh, your empathy that you're emoting. I think that gets people to open up. and And I think the question, right, certainly, uh, Orrin, is can you to Chris's earlier point, can you teach that at scale, or is it how do you? We have this kind of top layer which is. Stopping out beer cans, which is creating appointments, and then if the next bottleneck is in the discovery, and you have a hundred people doing biz dev and SDR, and you got ten people doing sales, is that also an acquired gift and trait? And can that be screenplayed out?
1: We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. <music> Connect and Sell, welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Give your fingers a rest with Connect and Sell's patented technology. You'll load your best sales folks up with 8 to 10 times more live qualified conversations every day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified. Like knowing how many tears they shed while watching the end of Toy Story. Kind of qualified. Learn more at (laughs) ConnectAndSell.com
2: I mean, for me, the screenplay, and, and to be fair, we work at a pretty high level, right, is to just square away the seven variables. Somebody's buying a house, right? And you're doing discovery on what their needs are. I mean, you can pin in the variables, right? Square foot, build quality, schools, road noise, price range, parking, sexual affinities. Yeah. And 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 uh, you know now I'm starting to run out of stuff, right? So you know maybe a couple a couple other things, and so then say within that, right? And and these these are variables. This is we do this all the time. Put a hundred people in a house of three thousand to five thousand square feet. Precisely amenities, pool, no pool, perfect for the school. Like, what are you trying to make happen? And now you've laid out the variables, and in my experience, they'll self-discover if you give them the variables. And I think that is pretty scalable because you're creating a sandbox. And now if they're outside of the sandbox, you can push them back in, right? And I think it's the same as Chris's question, which is in your best day, dream of dreams, best outcomes, what needs to happen here? What are you trying to make happen? That's you know, Zig Ziglar. If you could wave a magic wand today and say, Orin, go make this happen," what is it we should do?
0: I, I think I used to actually bring a magic wand. By the way, that I made into our big customer meetings, where we bring all the customers together and then have the the elite group advise us. And I would make a magic wand each year out of three out of three plants in my yard and uh, tie it together with the right color thread and hand it around. So you got the magic wand. You could- you have a here
3: as well to go with it?
0: Uh, I did not. That would have been uh, been special. Um, You know, something that that I found pretty consistently in discovery that's, I think, a a big challenge that I see with our reps having is instead of wanting to find out, they want to get the other person to do what they want them to do. And it's a challenge, you know, there's an implicit assumption, which is I want you to buy my stuff, whether you're right to buy it or not, whether it makes sense for you to buy it or not, right? I just went through this with one of my reps the other day. He said, so I'm trying to apply your techniques for selling. And it's working really well, but it's really, really hard because I find myself over and over wanting to jump ahead an extra step because your process is requires patience. And I mean, my process, I operationalize the relationship at the end of discovery and stop selling entirely. It's like, if you want to learn more, we do an intensive test drive. It's free. It takes you some time and a, a day of your people doing it. You will either produce results or not. Sometimes people get amazing results. Usually they just have a bunch of conversations and find out they suck. But even that can be worthwhile and it's a learning experience. And I highly recommend you do it, and if you want to do it, I'll introduce you to my VP of customer success, and boom, I'm gone. Yeah, I'm gone. There's no selling that's going to happen from then on ever until the very end where they've had all the experience, and then the question is, so now that you've got the experience, does it, do you see anything here that's worth doing? I see one thing, which is I think your people aren't very good, and I think maybe doing some small sort of engagement to get them better might be a, a worthwhile activity. What do you say? And I give them a little, that's my one variable, right? Cause that's always the variable there. people always suck. Everybody sucks. So I got it easy. It's like all the houses we're gonna sell have the same problem. They all face North and everybody wants a West facing exposure. But yeah. unfortunately in this neighborhood all the houses face North. So you're not gonna be able to watch the sunset.
2: Sorry. Well, I think, and, and as we're rounding the corner, I have to watch the clock here, Chris and Corey. Uh, I have a uh, I have a seven year old's birthday party here in eight minutes, um, that I also have to get to. So, so I think, thing you said triggered interest in me, which is, salespeople don't naturally want to invest in that discovery period, and once they hear one thing that sounds good, that's a leading an indicator of interest, That's right. then they want to hit the buzzer mm-hmm. like in uh, American Idol or one of those <laughs> things, right? And then end the song early mm-hmm. and go, I, I love her, send her through. I don't have to hear the rest of this. That was amazing, mm-hmm. right? Oh, you're juggling nine balls and everything. They're like, send him through. My vote is yes, right? Or this is the worst thing ever. And, you know. So they want to hit that button early. And so one thing we try and do is give a sense both to the buyer or the prospect and ourselves is, hey, listen, uh, I'm excited. You know, we, we don't want to be needy, right? But we, we, I'm excited with working with you. Like everything, looks, You're this is the kind of company that we work with. We've done this exact same thing 15 times in the last year. But at the same time, there's some things here that make me nervous or that are confusing, Got to sort all that out in my head. Look, I'm going to invest some time with you. Bend over backwards. On one hand, we're busy. Don't care what happens, right? If it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, you know, we'll name the Rolodex, we'll meet another day. But for the meantime, I would love to be involved with this project if everything makes sense and there's some things to clarify. I'm going to invest some time here to figure this out. And so if it's contextualized and as an investment in time, then that's a different process for, I'm waiting until I hear an indication of interest to right. bounce out to the next, right? So let's invest some time together and figure these questions out, right? And that that is more process driven than I'm waiting to hear a hot button that I can pounce on.
0: Yeah, I call it the dog, the meat, and the chain link fence problem. As soon as the dog smells the meat, it tries to go through the fence and it becomes unaware that the gate is 10 feet to the right. And salespeople are dogs. To go back to our animals, since they just are. Yeah. It. It's like, oh, I gotta get through there. Yeah. Well, you don't get through the damn fence and you're gonna hurt your nose and you're not gonna get the meat most of the time. But every once in a while they get a taste and they go, that worked. And um, that, that reinforcement I think is pretty damaging. Uh, we tried to engineer a sales process at Connect and Sell where the next step is an investment on our part and it's a serious investment. It's an investment that you know, we actually go into business with them for a full day of production. And real things happen. I mean, real things like uh, Tony Safoyan over at SADA, Google Cloud's number one reseller, he laughed on his podcast when I was a guest. I asked him, didn't you make like a million dollars on our test drive? He and his VP, Billy Franz, laughed and go, We made tens of millions that day, Chris. Mm-hmm. Tens of millions. Well, it might happen, it might not, but we did put in that investment. I got on a plane, I actually took my fiance. She we all went down to Austin and uh, you know, we did the thing. And it takes seven, eight hours, plus back then flying, not flying anymore, right? COVID times. But I deeply believe the next thing that makes sense, and I hate calling it a next step because that salesy talk about the next step is something I I gain control over you with. Bothers me a lot. But here's an investment we can make. You bring the people, you bring the lists. We'll work on a little message together or not, depending on if it makes sense. Usually I say no, and here's why, but sometimes that can work out. If Sometimes we do it. It spooks the reps, and they confuse the message that they don't know how to deliver with the Product and then they say the product sucks because they suck. But now that could go wrong, so we probably won't do that. But uh, we'll see what happens. A lot, of, a lot of things are likely to go wrong. People will be afraid. Some of them might go home sick. We've had a guy have have uh, what looked like a seizure once, throwing up in the garbage can, had a panic attack. Right. Could happen. We had to call an ambulance. It was all right. Medical help was available. But usually everybody survives, and uh, we learned something together. So we're well, willing that- to make that investment if you are. That
3: podcast that you're on with Tony and that test drive, right, millions of dollars, that is nothing on the podcast here that we just put in the can over the last hour. So we're going to let Oren get to Asher's birthday party here. I'll tell you what, this is like a, you know, I remember watching the Black Belt Theater as a little kid here. We got the Northern Shaolin Temple against the Southern Shaolin, right? And, and we're going to kind of explore this maybe in the next episode where we talk about discovery in tone and how to uh do that uh, properly again a little bit more hey detailed. hey corey how am I supposed to do that <laughs> how am I supposed to do that what would you like me to do next that's yeah right. yeah yeah what do you want me to do? Uh, right. I mean, the, the yeah, third, well, it's all in yeah. the third book that's coming out right, right. So okay
0: that. well yeah. um, your your book is awesome. I, I heard a testimonial for it today from Jared Robin who's got this thing called the uh at uh, doing an uh, outbound club thing where they're doing, you know, esports as cold calling or cold calling is esports, He said, I read flip the script. Then I read, never split the difference. Then I went back and read flip the script again. And he says, now I feel like I know something. So you're inspiring folks out there. And I think actually making a difference when the hardest thing in the world, which is to get people to sell in a way that makes sense for human beings and yeah. can be done for all products. So I think it's just simply awesome.
2: Well, I think, I think the last point, you know, my goal is that people should not feel like selling is a thing that they have to do, but it is a bit icky and they want to retreat back to their normal life and they they have to go over chores or, but having to clean the take dishes to the, wash the dishes or it's, it's this thing that yes, you have to do it you've signed up for it, but you have to get out of yourself and go do it and then come back to yourself when you're done. And that is one thing I always hated, you know, feeling about selling. And so it should be so integrated with who you are, really, your values, how, what you believe, what you would do in the normal world, what makes you feel good. And so, that's what I want to give people is a sense like I'm working in a space that I'm super, I'm myself. I'm not trying to be someone else or do things that other people do. I'm just myself and I'm doing things that make sense for me and I'm selling and that is magic. Indeed.
0: truly it is magic. Well, I'm on your team now. So let's see if uh, you can use me for something.
2: Thank you, Chris. Thank Corey, you, Corey. Thanks. Take care. Appreciate it. Have Thanks. a great we weekend, guys. Sort of market right. out, guys. Until Happy birthday, Asher. Oh, thank you. Thank you.
1: Today's show is also brought to you by UncommonPro.com. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer or investor is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's really time to go big, you need an uncommon methodology to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. Through a modern and innovative sales and scripting tool set, we offer a guiding hand to ambitious leaders in their quest to reach market dominance. It's time to get Uncommon with UncommonPro.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to MarketDominanceGuys.com and subscribe.